Are you lost in the chaotic whirlwind of day-to-day busyness? Do you yearn for a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in your life? Welcome to Be You, Your Story, Your Purpose, the podcast dedicated to empowering women on their journey of self-discovery and finding their true purpose through their own story. I'm your host, Brenda Simmons. Welcome to the Be You, Your Story, Your Purpose podcast. Today, our guest is Allison Ockenden, and Allison lives in Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia. She is a full-of-life person who approaches life with energy and determination. Allison is the owner of From the Heart, a community for moms trying to navigate life. She is also the host of the podcast From the Heart and the creator behind Today, Tomorrow, and Always, a keepsake jewelry business. Welcome to the podcast, Allison. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, it certainly is a pleasure. I'm hoping that you can share a little bit about your story. You shared shared it with me when we talked previously, and it I was just so fascinated and awed at what you have been through. And I'm hoping that you can share a little bit of that with our audience. Oh, I forget what we even talked about now. (laughs) Where do I start? Where do I start? Um, So uh, hi, everyone. My name is Alison. I am a mum of four. Um, My children uh, range in age of uh, 20. Oh, gosh, now I have to think 23, 21, 16 and I will have a seven-year-old in two more sleeps yes we're on the sleep countdown for any parents listening um and I also have a four and a two-year-old grandchild as well so I have quite a range in um in children in my family I um I always say that that's one of my children calling now thank you my phone was not on silent when she calls um so yeah this is life this this is real my real life is I'm sitting here working and my 23 year old all of a sudden needs me for something really important um but yeah I I do have a a, a big range of of age gap I was that idiot that had the nine-year age gap between uh number three and four um but uh, she completes our family and it's making it interesting. I didn't realize just how different, um, you know, children that I grew myself could be from each other until I had number four and she is a handful. Um, but in the best of ways, in the best of ways. Um, so uh, I have had many uh, an experience as a parent. Um, I've had uh, a registered missing person um one of my children is a recovering drug addict um I have two uh children that are part of the LGBTQIA plus community yes I have to like spell that out in my head um I have a child with ADHD and as of last week I found out that my younger two children also are on the autism spectrum as well so Life is never dull in this house. Um, it's it's constantly wow. go, go, go. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, I mean, you've got a wide range of challenges there as a parent. So what, what has been some of your biggest challenges with what your kids are, are facing? Or so I think um, I will always advocate and always go back to the fact that I was a teen mom. Um I had my first child eight days after I turned 17 because the the hospital didn't believe I was in labor. It turns out I'd been in labor for three weeks um, and it just wasn't progressing. Um, And they just kept sending me home telling me I didn't know what I was talking about. And even in the labor delivery room, um, I remember saying to the midwife, I need to push. And she's like, 
you don't go from uh, being seven centimeters dilated to having a baby in an hour. That just doesn't happen. Stop being so dramatic. Oh my goodness. Nobody listened to you. No. And um, I said to her, look, I, I'm telling you, um, she walked from like next to me on the bed to the end of the bed and looked and she was crowning and she's like, oh, oh, she is coming. Yeah. That's what I just said. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. I remember, um, I don't know if we can swear on this podcast, but I, I said a word that starts with S and ends in T um, and my in labor, mind you. And my mum, who was with me, um, turned around and said, oh, Alison, cut out that language. Really? You're you want labor? labor? Right. <laughs> that should be one of those times where it's excused, right? <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't a big swear word. Um, but yeah, it was it was fine. Um, and she was healthy. And um, and I I quite often get hatred for from first time mums or from any mum who finds out that my first labor was 65 minutes long. Um, and yeah, so don't worry, my other kids made up for it. I've, I've been punished well and truly. Um, but yeah, look, some of the struggles that I faced was um, I definitely my my was my eldest daughter, my 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 firstborn, uh, at the age of fifteen was a missing person uh, for a very serious reason. Um, any mums of teenagers out here will totally laugh at this because it's ridiculous. Um, she wanted to go to a party with all the kids and knew that I would say no. So pulled the old, uh, I'm going to go and stay at my girlfriend's house. Old switcheroo, uh, huh? Yeah. And my mummy senses were tingling. And so I tried to call her. She didn't answer. I tried to call the girl. No, she's not here. So after 12 hours of not knowing where she was, I ended up having to call the police and and she was a, an active missing person. Um and it turned out that she'd asked one of her friends, older friends with a license to drive her out to this beach party. Um, we now call him the getaway driver. Uh, mm. <laughs> it's it's funny now. It was not funny then. Um, oh, for sure. And he he did the right thing. He um he I found his, I don't even remember how I found his information, but through friends of hers on Facebook, someone had said, Oh, look, I saw her getting into a green ute um, you know, in our local town. Um, I then tracked down on her social media, the only person with a green ute, um, and contacted him and said, you've essentially kidnapped my child, bring her home. And not only did he do that, but he actually came up to the door and said to me, look, I'm so sorry. I thought I was just doing her a favor. I didn't, I didn't realize she didn't have permission. Wow. I said to him there and then you and I have no problem. Like I actually have a huge amount of respect for him for the fact that he had the balls to come up and face me knowing that I was furious um, he ended up joining the Australian military and was actually trained by her father, uh, ironically. So, yeah. In a, wow, a, that came full circle, didn't it? Yeah, twisted <laughs> fate of events. Um, yeah, he was also punished. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, look, it's one of those things that for, for any parent that has a child that's missing, um, I only had to go through it for, for just over 24 hours. Um, I can't imagine what it, it's like to go days, weeks, hey, God forbid, months and longer. Um, but that was really hard. That that that, that I thought she was going to be my trouble child. Um, but then, <laughs> then my eldest son turned um, sixteen. Was probably the age. Um, at fourteen, he come out to us as gay. Yep, don't don't care. Off you go. Go on. I think. 
I think my response to him was, great, did you put the rubbish out? <laughs> like who you love and who you're attracted to makes no difference to me. Go and do your chores, basically. Right. Um, and, you know, he came in and he actually told me via text from his bedroom. Um, I don't know why, but he then come in um, and, and gave me a hug crying. And I'm like, what did you think I'd say? And he's like, oh, I knew you'd be cool with it. But it's just the relief of actually saying it out, you know, not necessarily out loud because he texted it, but actually telling you and, and getting that Having relief. open, right. And I, yeah. And I'm like, that's great, mate. I'm I'm really proud of you for for being who you are and being authentic to you. Now, seriously, go and put the rubbish out. Like it was midnight. <laughs> like you're not going to drop that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Just just because you've decided, you know, to to finally open up and come out as gay does not change your responsibilities in this house. Like go no. go do your job. Um, but fast forward two years, and and he started dating his first boyfriend, uh, who was 21. Um, we it, it's a bit of a long story, but to shorten it down for everyone, um. He was suffering from what we now know as bipolar disorder type 1 with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I raised my children, with, as we all do, with knowing the dangers of drugs, knowing right from wrong, um, you know, not uh, succumbing to peer pressure, to, to being the leader, not the follower, all of those things. But due to this perfect storm of a mental health issue that we didn't know was happening, um, he hadn't said anything that he'd been hearing voices or seeing hallucinations that were actually quite scary. And so when this boyfriend offered him drugs, I guess there was that temptation of, I just need to forget. I just need to step out of my own skin for a bit because it's scary in here. Um, And so he was introduced to the drug ice, uh, otherwise known as methamphetamine, um, and he began smoking it um, to cope and to self-medicate. Um, at six, at 17, we finally added two and two together um, and did a checklist online. Uh, here in Australia, we have an incredible uh, charity called, uh, oh, my gosh, Black Dog Institute. I was going to say Blue Dog, and I'm like, that's not right. That's not Black right Dog Institute. Right. Yeah, um, which is a mental health uh, service specifically aimed at men, actually. Um, and so on there, they had an online kind of questionnaire that you could fill in and it came back as a high risk of bipolar disorder. So we then went through all of the steps. Um, we'd already been through the Children and Adolescent Mental Health Services, which is a government initiative here called CAMS, um, that help deal with suicidal children and self-harm and, and those really serious issues that, that happen to teenagers. Um, they hadn't mentioned anything. Um, I ended up seeing our GP, got a referral to a, a psychiatrist um, and said to him, look, we, we need him assessed for bipolar. Um, and and the long, the, the short version of that was, yes, he had it. But here in Australia, we have a DSM-5, which is basically the medical Bible that has all of the, the medical conditions and what criteria you have to meet to be able to be diagnosed with, with whatever it is. Right. And at that stage, my son walked like a duck, he quacked like a duck. He had feathers, but he was not 18 years of age. So even though he had every diagnostic criteria, he'd had manic episodes, he'd had depressive episodes, he had uh, overdose attempts. He'd had all of these things that he had to meet, except his age. 
they would not diagnose him officially nor medicate him for this for this disorder. That's um, bizarre to me. So is there a reason why they do that? No because idea. Clearly somebody younger than eight, you know, one day doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's funny because I've heard um I obviously joined a lot of Facebook forums and and tried to learn all I can about bipolar disorder. Um he also has borderline personality disorder, anxiety, depression, PTSD, OCD, and ROCD. So he's got an alphabet. Um, well, and it's no wonder he turned to drugs to self-medicate. There wasn't anything else he knew what to do. Yeah. And and even when we got when I got him clean the first time, he he come home because I have a no drug rule in my house. And I I said to him, I respect the fact that this is an addiction and that we need to break it. But I had two younger children in my home that I could not subject to to that at all. Um, so when he was home, he was clean, which unfortunately for him meant the voices and hallucinations came back. So it's when he real win situation, right? It was. It really was. And I remember after the second relapse, and he went back to to the boyfriend that he was with at the time that was supplying the drugs. I remember saying to my mum, "I feel like the worst parent ever because here I am telling him, you you know, to come home, you have to not do these things." And we've got to do it the right way through the the medical system. But the medical system was letting him down because they knew what he had. They knew what he was suffering with. And every suicide attempt that, you know, that I luckily caught in time, I would take him to emergency and they would say, why did you do this? And he would say, because I can't live like this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. I just want peace and quiet in my own mind. I can't keep doing this. And they would say, "Um, are you going to attempt suicide again? And his reply was always the same. It was always not today. And they would say, okay, you can go home. It was never no. It was just not today. That's all they needed to hear to send him home. And it was heartbreaking because I could see the struggles and I could see the pain, but yet I, I didn't know what else to do. So when he relapsed, I, I said to my mum, I'm, I'm the worst hypocrite in the world because how can I be mad at him for turning back to something that he knows works? just to get him through the next six months, seven months, whatever it was at that point, to get him to his birthday. That's all we're counting down for. Once his birthday is here, then he can get the proper medication that will help. But until then, how can I expect him to live, you know, like feeling like he just wants to crawl out of his own skin? And it was so hard um, to watch and it was so hard to not to stick to my own morals, but it was it was tough to know how I felt about drugs and to see the damage that it did to him, but yet not, I had to stop making it a big deal because I knew he was just trying to survive. I remember he was um, 16 or 17 and he was going through the mental health unit and one of the therapists said to him, what age do you think you will reach? Like, how old do you expect to, to get in your life? And he said, I'll be dead by 21. Oh, my word. Yeah. And actually, I think he said 20. I beg your pardon. I'll be dead by 20. And, and he's, what, 17, 17 at that point? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Must have been 17. And here I am, you know, thinking about my grandchildren growing up and watching them, you know, their first day of school. And they're, you know, like this whole generation and my son, his whole life only went for the next two years or so. 
And so, you know, most most families celebrated 21st birthdays, that really big milestone. But for us, we celebrated 20 because he did not expect to get to that birthday. And it was so surreal to, you know, when, when he turned 21, you know, he he had a big party up where with his father where he is now. But yeah, that 20 year, it was it was huge because every day for four years I woke up wondering if today was a day I'd have to go and identify his dead body. It was a constant state of wanting to wrap him in cotton wool and also wanting to yell and scream at him and also, you know, wanting to love him healthy and love the addiction away from him but also accept that that's not how addiction works and all of these complicated, you know, conflicting things. So it took me about two years to really understand that it wasn't my fault that at 16 years of age, he made a choice. It was a, look, I usually say it's a bad choice, but again, he was just trying to survive. And for any other parent out there whose child has, hopefully they didn't turn to the worst drug in the world straight up. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, he, um, he come back a, a few months later uh, after one of the times of getting clean. And he said, um, Mom, look, I, I haven't done ice, but I've I've just smoked some marijuana with some friends. And I'm like, but it's not crack. You know, like right. that kind of became, it had to become a joke because, you know, when you find out that your child is, is you know, for example, smoking marijuana, you're like, but that's illegal. Like, why couldn't you just smoke cigarettes? They're legal. Um, but, you know, once your child's done the worst drug in the world and been addicted to the worst drug in the world, that is a worldwide problem. Anything under that is kind of like, but it's not this, you know, and right. it, it's a different it's, perspective, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it really is. And um, unfortunately, one of the boyfriends that he had was a nurse um, and began injecting him with with this drug. Um, and when when we got clean and we went, you know, he was going to his psychiatrist and, and doing all the right things and, and taking his medication and. Um, his team, his mental health team said we did not think he would survive because the statistics of people that start injecting this drug can never get off it. Like they might slow down to smoking it, but they will never actually be able to quit, like for good. Um, and he did it all himself, you know, obviously with the help and support of us here at home, but he's the strongest and most incredible kid I know. Um, I, I have nothing but respect for him. I, I can't imagine what it's like living every day with your body screaming out for something that you have to choose not to give it. Like I, I always joke, my addiction is chocolate and sugar. Uh, I wholeheartedly know that, that it's not healthy. But I can't imagine what it would be like for someone to say to me, you know how, how good chocolate tastes and you know how good sugar is? Um, and you know how it makes you feel, you know, all the dopamine and all the warm and fuzzies? Yeah, you can never, ever have that again. Like that, that blows my mind. And that's just sugar. So yeah, to any recovering addicts, um, I, I have nothing but respect because I've seen how hard that is to, to so get how to. Did he, how did he do it? Where's he at now? And how did he accomplish that? I mean, obviously he had a will to survive if he was willing to, to go through the addiction recovery process because that is not an easy thing and to come off of meth like that is that's pretty amazing so what how how did he how did he do that 
So he, so uh, for, for those, I mean, most people have heard of OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Not many people have heard of ROCD and I hadn't before, before my son, but it is relationships, obsessive compulsive disorder. So to explain it in the, the simplest way, um, Brenda and I have now been talking for a little while. Um, to someone with ROCD, we are now best friends. We now have to text and call and be in constant communication because, you know, we're, we're the best of friends and we live out of each other's pocket. If you don't reply to my text within 30 seconds, I'm going to sit here and wonder what I did. Oh, my God, are you mad at me? Do you not like me anymore? Um, and I obsess over it. Um, and for him, I was that obsession. So his um, ROCD combined with just being my son um, all he was worried about was disappointing me and making me ashamed of him and me not loving him anymore. So as horrible as it is, that fear was what continued to make him want to get better. It made him want to make me proud. Um, and while you know any addict will be able to tell you, you've got to want to do it for yourself, um, I think in the beginning he didn't want to do it for himself because he just wanted the voices and, and the hallucinations to stop. Um, but once it reached a certain point, that's where it was, well, I can't go back to it because, you know, my mum will be really disappointed in me, like after all the work and after everything that we've been through. Um, so that that's what helped. But unfortunately, uh, his psychiatrist decided to do a bit of a test. Um, basically, it was a which came first, the chicken or the egg, um, and took him off all of his medication and That's scary yeah it he, look he lasted about a year before the symptoms really started coming back full force to the point where he ended up being arrested for domestic violence against me after threatening to kill me and said that he'd been dreaming about it for weeks um of different ways to do it just hadn't decided yet uh a friend of mine was on the phone and heard this and called the police they come over to do a welfare check saw that he'd um damaged the walls in his room and arrested him against my wishes um, and was then court ordered to not be allowed in my home and anywhere near me. Wow. Which as a parent is the most heartbreaking thing in the world. Um, it led to him making false police reports saying that I had a child sex offender babysitting my kids while I went out. Uh, he made that report four times. I was investigated by police and by Child Protective Services um, it was very easily proved to be wrong because the person that he claimed was babysitting my kids uh, was wearing an ankle monitor because he was on parole. Um, and so their own records actually proved that my son was just making it up because the, the monitoring system monitors these people within a metre of where they are. Right. Um, they could clearly see he'd never been, you know, anywhere near my house. But... Um, it was his way, it was that ROCD's way of trying to stop that friendship and and get me back. Um, but the damage that he did to our relationship by doing that is still in the works. Um, it's still quite fresh. It's been a year since, since all of this happened. Um, he was um, sentenced in January of this year um, and... That, that's all done, but build, rebuilding our relationship and fixing our relationship, um, considering that I was his everything, um, is going to take a lot more time because he he risked me going to prison 
you know, he risked the the care of his younger two siblings who were completely innocent being split up and happening to go to fathers that, you know, that they don't and have never lived with. Um, you know, it, it was just a really selfish thing to do, but mental health is selfish. It will attack anyone and everyone. It doesn't care who you are, what status you have, how much money you have, um, none of it. It will attack anyone and everyone that it that it, it chooses to. Um, and so while I, I will get to the point of forgiving him, um, I'm not quite there yet, um, but I love him unconditionally and he is still my hero when it comes to everything that he's been through. Um, I, I always tell people I love my children no matter what. I don't have to like them. That's, you know, liking your children is separate. And he's my example of that because even through the addiction, even through, you know, everything that he's put me through, I love him unconditionally. Nothing he could ever do would stop me loving him. But I really don't like him right now. <laughs> I don't like his behaviour and his actions. Um, but, you know, in time, you know, I'm hoping that we will be able to to fix that and mend that. But in the meantime, you know, we just need some time apart, um, which I think is probably good for him in the way that, um you know, I'm also a bit of an addiction when it comes to to the OCD. That's that's the compulsive addiction kind of thing. So, you know, it's kind of good for him to have to learn to live without me, you know, catching him every time he falls because that's not real life. Real life doesn't have that safety net. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a shitty situation, but our family is not unique. Um, and, and as you know, that's why From the Heart started because... I wanted to be able to give a voice to other mums who were going through similar things or you know, equally devastating things but different circumstances and for them to take that shame away from themselves that, um, you know, the choices that our children make are exactly that, they're their own choices. Um, we don't have to like them. We don't have to, you know, to pretend that we do, um, but that doesn't mean we don't love them. And it's it's hard. Being a parent is bloody hard. And mm-hmm. anyone that says different is in some kind of dream fantasy land. Because even with with children that are not, I'll, I'll say normal in quotation marks, um, you know, there's still ups and downs. They still have to make mistakes to learn the lessons, you know, for, for adulthood. Um, and yeah, like even even recently with with my two younger children, my seven and, and sixteen year old, um, I've got huge mum guilt all over again because for ten years I was focused on my older son and his mental health issues um, because he was diagnosed at ten with his anxiety and depression and needed to be medicated from there. Um, so you know, from ten to twenty, <laughs> he was the focus. Um, and now I've got, you know, my seven-year-old was diagnosed with ADHD last year. Um, and so I had to learn all about that and, and what that presented like in girls because I'd only ever seen it in boys before and and learn how to parent her in a way that's going to prepare her as, a, as an adult. Um, and last week discovering that both she and my 16-year-old also are on the autism spectrum. The mum guilt is real, um, you know, the fact that my son is 16 and I only discovered this because of his younger sibling. I'm like, how did I not see it? How did his teachers not, how did his therapists not see it? How did everyone 
all of the adults in his life, how do we all let him down by not by not being told to look into this? Um, you know, he's been hearing voices since he was five years old and everyone just kept saying that that was some kind of normal, you know, the imaginary friend thing or, um, you know, that it was just teenagers and that's how they cope sometimes and and all of these other things. And not one person has said, actually, um, it was only the the psychologist that that diagnosed him last week that said that um, autism spectrum disorder used to be called childhood schizophrenia. Oh, that's and interesting. When, yeah, when she said that, I'm just like, that makes perfect sense. I know all about the the schizophrenia right. because of my older son, and I knew that this son didn't have bipolar disorder. He didn't have the same manic episodes, but there were similarities. And when she said those two words, childhood schizophrenia, a light bulb literally went off in my head. And she said, it and was then there. you start to see everything, it all connecting. Yeah. yeah. Um, the apparently it went from childhood schizophrenia, then they called it um, Asperger's, and then autism, and now it's known as the autism autism spectrum disorder because it's so huge and vast in its um, symptoms. Um, but yeah, as soon as I, I was looking it up for my daughter, you know, uh, her school had recommended that she be tested, uh, since last year. So I was kind of looking up some of the symptoms because I was trying to figure out where the ADHD stopped and where the potential autism symptoms began, um, because I didn't know anything about either of them. So I kind of had to, to dive deep head first. And as I was researching, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, my son does that. Oh, yeah, he ticks that box and that box and that box. Hang on a minute. Um, and so, yeah, it was because of her that I, I looked into it and that I connected the dots. And, and yeah, now I uh, we're about to get the, the official report of what level they're both at. Um, but I, I had to pay privately to, to get them assessed. And I see how so many children fall through the cracks because it was currently, uh, it's 2023 right now as we're recording this, and it was $2,000 per child for this assessment. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I have a, a good friend who calls them crack kids because because they do fall through the cracks because you don't always yeah. see, you don't always connect those dots. And and so, yeah, yeah it, it's a huge problem. So you've talked a little bit about this mom guilt that you've had. And I, I can only, I mean, I think every mom has mom guilt, right? Yeah. And it, it's yeah. just part of being a mom and looking back and going, oh, I totally screwed that up, you know, and, and I wish <laughs> I could have done that again, you know, but how have you helped yourself? Like, what has your self-care been like to help you navigate that mom guilt? Look, I think, like I said, for two years, I was, I was just in a, a daze of I'm the worst mom in the world. My kids would be better off without me you know, all of that stuff, um, you know, clearly I'm I'm not doing well because, you know, my son is, you know, has turned to this and all of that. Um, once I realised that at the same age he made that choice, I, at 16 years old, I was pregnant. So I made that decision and there was nothing anyone could do or say that would talk me out of the decision to have my child. Once I really came to that realisation from that 16-year-old space, I kind of breathed a sigh of relief because I know no one could talk me out of, out of having my daughter. Um, just like 
I don't think anyone could have talked him out of seeking a way to stop these these things that were happening to him. And that really took the weight off me of, no, no, it was his choice. Like I didn't hand him the drugs. I didn't hold the gun to his head. I, I didn't actually do any of it. I, I wasn't there for any of it. Um, his first boyfriend had convinced him that I was the devil and that I would, you know, just ruin his life and to move out of home at 16. So I didn't... I didn't have that hold, that day-to-day, seeing him every day hold where I could make a difference. Once I realised that it wasn't my fault and once I wholeheartedly accepted that it wasn't my fault, I really then had to work on why I had been feeling the way I did um, and work on, and it's it's one of those words that are, are being really thrown around, like self-care and self-awareness. Um, right. But I I really did. I had to work on my own mindset. And instead of finding all of the negatives and things, I had to start looking for some positives. And the positives were that he was still alive, that, you know, he knew I loved him, that, you know, I I had other children that also needed me, um, you know, and I had a support system around me, but that I was still here, you know, that, that, for a, a, I was a sole parent um, when my son's issues started. My ex-husband said, well, I haven't been a parent to these kids in years. Why would I start now? That was his quote. Um, and I thought parenting, like parent of the year right there, like here's your award. Um, so I knew I was doing it on my own, but I, I just had to accept the fact that I could just do what I could do um, and that to give my kids the best version of me, I had to look after me. Um, one of my therapists said to me one day, the old analogy of when you're on a plane and the oxygen mask come down, would you put the mask on yourself first or your kids? And I, I looked at him like with this stupid look on my face, like, of course I'd put it on my kids first. How could you even ask me that? And he said, see, that's the wrong answer. And I said, yeah, I disagree with you. And he said, no, it's the wrong answer because if you take the 30 seconds to put the mask on child one, you might get it on. But then child, at that point, I had three kids. Then child two and three don't have a mask. You've lost consciousness. The child that is conscious is screaming and freaking out because both his mum and or her mum and two siblings are unconscious. The rest of the plane is screaming. There's no one to help them. By taking that 30 seconds to put your own mask on first, you've then got unlimited time to put them on the rest of the kids. And then your conscious enough to be able to console them and soothe them and help them through that emergency moment. I thought, you bugger. (laughs) Just, it really, like, I remember at the time bawling my eyes out thinking, oh my God, I'm a a bad mum because I would have left my child in that situation. Um, And every time that I had that moment of, it's not okay to take time out for myself. It's not okay to take a bath and lock the door so that they can't come in. It's not okay to take time to go for a walk or, you know, for for women that get their nails done or their hair done, whatever self-care is to you. If you don't do that, then, and you don't put your mask on first, you can't be there for everyone else's emergency moments. And that's how what I've always come back to, you know, in those moments where I feel selfish or I feel like I'm taking away from them because I'm doing something for me. I just think, no, Alison, remember, you've got to put your mask on because otherwise there's no one flying the plane and 
you know, how how good are you to anyone then? Um, and that that's always stuck with me. That was, you know, like 15 years ago, I think a counsellor told me that. And I just, yeah, it, it really hit me hard. Um, so I hope it, it hits other people and, and other mums that, like me, would have would have wholeheartedly answered, I would have chosen my kids, that being selfish sometimes is actually being the best mum you can be. Well, what I really heard you say was three things, right? So the first thing you said was you reframed it. You gave yourself a new perspective and that yeah. helped you see a different side of the truth, right? Yeah. And then the second thing you you said was to, oh shoot, what was it? Um, oh, I just lost it. I should have written it down. Um, the third thing, I'll come back to that one. The third thing was to give yourself time, right? And and to give yourself that that self-care that that you needed that you were denying yourself. And really, if you think about it, our kids are depending on us as moms or as parents to be in a good place in order, but they don't know, they don't know how to express that. Right. And, and so they just, and so it's up to us as, as the adults to take that initiative. And even though they may not understand, well, why are you doing this? Why are you leaving me alone? (laughs) Why are you taking a bath? Mom, I'm knocking on the door. Right. (laughs) That's ultimately you're, by taking that time for yourself, you're a better person, you know, and, and you have the right, the enough capacity to deal with, with the issues. So, yeah, I mean, so that it's such good advice, I think for everybody to, to follow that. And so how, like after go, having gone through all of this, obviously it's still going on. You're, you're still in the midst of your story, yeah. Yet you've been able to, oh, well, it was find the good. That was the second one. Re, reframe it and then find the good things and then give yourself time. So yeah. how have you been able to channel your, um, the lessons that you've learned into helping other moms? Because obviously that for you to start a podcast and to start a community, it, this is something you feel really strongly about. So, so yeah. having... And but you're still in the midst of the hurt yourself. So yeah. how have you been able to channel that into helping other people? Yeah, I. It's funny you say that. So I I ended up channeling it by look. I don't like the word coach. I'm not a coach. I'm a friend. I'm a mentor. I'm I'm the best friend that holds your hand on your parenting journey because I've already walked that path. Um, and I I channeled it in using the crappy stuff that I've been through to help other mums who are walking that crappy path. Um, and last year, that's what I was focusing on. And I just never really got it off the ground because so much was still happening. Um, with From the Heart, I get to talk to mums and I get to, we have discussions about hard things and about things that, again, we're told we should be ashamed of. But by keeping those things in the dark, we're giving it power. So my my mission now is to turn all the things that I've been to and shine a light on them. Let other mums hear my story and that I'm, while I'm not proud of the fact, you know, that that we've been through all of this, the fact is we have. And I know that we're not the only ones. So I've channeled it in a way that now I offer to 
to hold hands with other mums and with other parents that are going through some stuff, you know, no matter how deep. Um, if it's something that I've already walked through, fantastic. If it's something that I haven't, then I can still offer you that support, that non-judgmental space where you can just vent, where you can just um, get it all out. I, I was saying in a, a, I was actually recording a podcast of mine earlier this morning, and I said it's, if we, if being a parent was a nine-to-five job, we went to an office and, you know, we, we had that kind of job and our boss was being horrible, we would come home and we would vent to our family and friends. We would be saying, my boss is this, you know, um, I, my co-workers, I hate them, I hate the, the environment, the pay is terrible, um, I don't get any holiday pay or sick pay, uh, it's a 24-7 job, I have to be on call. That's exactly what we're doing as mums. But yet, because it comes under the mum description, for some reason, we're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to say that we don't love every moment of it. And that's where I'm trying to make that shift. Not loving being a mum or a parent every single day does not make you a bad mum. It makes you human. And Amen. I'm here, yeah. I'm here Amen. to help. Yeah. Shout it from the rooftops. You don't have to love it. Society is telling us and and social media, I love, I love, I'm addicted. It's it's a problem. I need to go to AA or to, to <laughs> social media anonymous. Um, but, you know, it, it points out all of the perfection and, you know, all of the, this is what you should aspire to be. That's crap. As long as your children are healthy, happy, loved, fed, that's all they really need fundamentally. Um, you know, all of the gadgets and all of the the experiences and stuff, that's just icing on the cake. So I think I'm, I've turned, like my self-care selfishly now is helping other mums because secretly that actually makes me feel incredible. Feeling that that energy change of a mum that's gone from, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't know if I can do this. Um, I don't know how to get through this to, all right. So I've just got to take one step in front of me and tomorrow take one more step. Oh, I didn't realize it was going to be that easy. Seeing them kind of realize that is, is secretly and selfishly, that's my dopamine hit. It's that, it's that way of, of myself, of, of making me feel like everything that I've been through has been for a purpose. Um, you know, I'm not one to, to say, oh, I understand what you, how you feel on that when I really don't. I will only ever say I understand how you feel or I understand what that's like if I genuinely do because right. I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. I'm not the perfect parent. I don't think there is any such thing as the perfect parent nor the perfect child. We are just all doing our best and we all raise our children with the best of intentions and we just hope that, you know, <laughs> that it works and we wing it as we go along. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I've gotten through it is by by sharing my story and by building this community so that we can support mums in a no judgment zone um, based on real experiences and and real support. Not oh well, you should not be giving your child takeaway five nights a week. How dare you? You know what? That child's fed. Who cares if it's takeaway? You know, you might be really struggling with your mental health that week and you just cannot for the life of you stand in that kitchen and cook another meal that week. But your kids are fed and they've got clean clothes, they've got clean water, they think you're the best mum in the world because they've just had takeaway for five nights. You know, they <laughs> don't know it. <laughs> They're yeah, winning, they, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, 
And so that's that's what I'm about now. I'm about sharing that, um, take that weight off you for trying to aspire to perfection that is impossible to reach. The only thing that you need to be is you and your children will love you for that. Um, and as they grow up, they will see, you know, like I, I know sometimes we have pancakes and ice cream for dinner, you know, because it's not going to completely ruin their whole diet. And it's making those fun memories of, you know, mum, do you remember when we did? Um, you know, sometimes we sleep out on the trampoline under the stars, you know, and and we, you know, we we do all of these little things that go against the norm parenting because sometimes it's easier. Sometimes we just need to, to I, I find myself quite often being the, the drill sergeant, you know, have you done your homework? Is your room clean? Where's your lunchbox? All of those things. And sometimes it's just nice to be able to be the fun guy and, you know, to have the ice cream and pancakes for dinner or, you know, to to do something that we wouldn't normally do and and just make those fun memories too because, you know, for, for all of our mental health, like, you know, we've, I think, COVID has really shone a light on, on the adults' mental health and how we were really just putting Band-Aids on it up to now and just, you know, ignoring it because we had to get through, whereas COVID kind of really forced everyone to face themselves and deal with it. But our kids' mental health is just as important as well. Like we're teaching them how to cope with, with stress and with, um, you know, the pressures of life. Um, but, yeah, I, I just want to make sure that I don't forget to inject the fun in there as well. Well, I'm I'm a huge advocate of playing with your kid, no matter how old they are, because yeah. I, I think that is super, super important that they see you in those different aspects, you know, and you're yeah. willing to get on the ground and get dirty with them, you know. Yeah. But I I'm also so impressed with your ability to create this no judgment zone for other moms. And I I I just wanted to come back to that because I think that's so important. And I I think so many people don't share things because they are, are afraid of that judgment. And for a good reason, right? I mean, because judgment happens all the time. And it's yeah. because people don't understand the circumstances and and they they can't, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's a good lesson for everybody to just stop judging others because you don't know what the mental health of that day is, is like, you know, or you don't know, you know, the, the inner turmoil of somebody, you know, there's so much in our lives that we don't share. So be able, so being able to do that in a safe place is, I just think it's amazing and so, so needed in this world. And so I, I just want to say thank you for doing that. I'm not, I haven't even been a part of that. I just learned about you, but I, well, you need to be. Why are you? I know there? I do. <laughs> but it, it's just so important to have that space. So just that, it, yeah, it, it's it's a good thing to do that. So I I actually encourage all of my listeners, if you don't have a safe place, safe place to be able to vent or be able to just share what's going on, you don't necessarily need advice, right? Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need to therapy. Sometimes no. you just need to be able to talk. And if you yes. don't have that space, find it because it is life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. Yeah, sometimes you just like, we all love our partners, otherwise we wouldn't be with them. But sometimes they can be just as much part of the problem as our kids are. And sometimes we need to just vent about, 
I've just asked my partner for the fourth time to take the rubbish out while I bath the kids and he still didn't damn well do it. Well, you can't really go to him and vent <laughs> without starting an right. argument. Um, so this is a safe place. Um, you know, we're on social media. Um, the only rule of from the heart is no judgment. Um, you know, that is the number one. We have a zero tolerance for it. We have the mindset that everyone is different, that we've all walked different paths. Um, and we, we're all individuals. So, you know, the, the only person that can judge you is you. Um, but we will offer support. We will offer a shoulder to cry on. We will offer, you know, a, 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 an ear to listen. Um, and if you ask, we will offer our what we went through and how we got through, you know, the teething phase or the toddler phase or, you know, whatever it is that you're struggling with or that you need camaraderie in. Sometimes it's not even about needing support or help. Sometimes it is just I need to vent. I need to get this off my chest because I love this kid. But today I've considered throwing them in the bin four times, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> there are some days are just like that. Um, but look, in, in all seriousness, when it comes to our mental health, the one thing that I would love everyone to think of when it comes to being judgmental on yourself is I would ask you to ask yourself if this was your best friend coming to you and saying, ABC, what advice would you give her? or him. Because I guarantee you that the advice you would give your best friend is so much kinder than the internal monologue you're telling yourself. And why don't you deserve that? If you're going to be so kind to somebody else and give them the support and the help and the advice that they need, give it to yourself. Like it's if it's it's the same situation. So just be kind to yourself. It's Life's too serious in so many ways to to not just give yourself a break now and then. Well, thank you. That's wonderful advice. Allison, if people want to find you or learn more about From the Heart, where can they do those things? Uh, you can jump onto fromtheheart.club, C-L-U-B. We are on social media. You can email me at Allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N at fromtheheart.club um, or send me a message through one of our, our social media platforms. Fantastic. And I will make sure that I will have the links to all of those places on the show notes. So I, I think you are a fantastic example of what this podcast is all about. You know, somebody who has taken their story and made a purpose out of it, even though it's not been 100% fun and not been, you know, all roses and and good things, but you are now turning other people's lives around. So that's wonderful. So, and I just want my listeners to know that if you are going through a rough time, there are people out there that you can reach out to, Allison being one, me being another, that we can listen, we can provide a safe space for you to, to do that. And just remember that you can find purpose in your story, no matter what that story looks like. So until next time, please take that to heart and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Celebrate your dreams, let them take flight. For you are a star, shining bright in every step.